Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We were having our... Afternoon debrief yesterday. We do it every day around half past twelve. We meet for maybe twenty minutes, half an hour, the three of us just to you know talk about how the show went and what we might do for tomorrow and what we might do for the upcoming days ahead. And we were sitting inside where we have that meeting, and a ping on my phone, and up came this notification that the Queen was under medical supervision at Bar Balmoral and I said to, to the lads to Fiona and Fergus I said oh god I think we'll be busy tomorrow London Bridge looks like it's about to fall because that's been the media code since forever I think they started to perfect this operation in 1980 something she was Silver Jubilee 1977 and I think they first began to put this plan together not long after that London Bridge is down, is media uh, cold and has been for many a long day uh, that the Queen was dead. Uh, good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96. The text or WhatsApp is uh, 083 96 96 and the email's opinion at 96fm.ie. I think when Liz Truss was interrupted yesterday in Parliament, she was handed a piece of paper. I think other people were handed a piece of paper as well. I think what was written on that piece of paper may well have been London Bridge is down. A lot of people thinking that the Queen had actually died quite early yesterday. Uh, or at least lunchtime and that by the time we heard anything she had actually passed away and by the time the family were called to her side uh, she had actually died whether that'll ever come out I, I do not know I don't, don't know that it actually matters but it's just the way history will tell the story uh, the last picture taken of her was taken on Tuesday when she um, officially bid farewell to Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, and then she uh, invited Liz Truss to form a government. And the last photograph taken of her was taken in front of a roaring fire at Balmoral, which was, a, they all say, her, her favourite place. The newspapers are full, as you'd expect, as you'd expect this morning, they were all full of her. Irish Examiner has a photograph, a number of photographs on the front page, including photographs of the visit here. In 2011, the Echo reflects back on Cork on that May day in 2011. Leaside's magical day with a lovely photograph of the Queen meeting children opposite the English market after she'd done her walkabout. We've lost a friend of Ireland, says the Irish Daily Mirror, President Higgins, leading tributes. She's the longest 
reigning monarch. Uh, I'll go through just how long she's been there in a minute. Front page of the Irish Times, again, a photograph of her. Uh, Britain's Queen Elizabeth dies at the age of 96. The Times of London is black today. They have no colour at all on the front page. And her front page is black and white. Death of the Queen. Her Majesty passes away aged 96. The King will be Charles III. He was King by tea time yesterday, I think. Uh, there is an accession process, but you know yourself. Uh, the Star has love and peace, referring back to... 2011 and the speech in Dublin. We'll, we'll let you hear some of that as well during the morning. The Irish Sun has end of an era. Tributes pouring in to monarch aged 96. Irish Daily Mail has a picture of her in green. I think it was probably taken when she was here in 2011 because she wore green a lot of the time when she was here. And the headline is Our Friend the Queen, and it remembers Aukhtran Ogisakorja, which we'll hear later in the morning. And the only paper whose lead story isn't the Queen is actually the Irish Independent. She's she's photographed on the front page, a beacon of calm in a world of constant change is the quote, but uh, they lead with the economy and double whammy on households and all of that. Uh, I don't know if you were there in, in 2011. It was a Friday in May, and we'd been planning for it. The city, I mean, had been planning for it for, for months. Uh, once she accepted the invitation to come to Cork, I was there for the 96FM newsroom at the time. And we had accreditation. I still have somewhere at home my accreditation badge from that day. And it had to be approved by the British Embassy and you had to get stamped and photographs and oh my God, I never had such a palaver to get accredited for anything. And by the time the event began, I was a bit miffed. I was a bit pissed off, I think, at having had to go through such a rigmarole just to see a woman arrive to walk around town. I was, And then the whole atmosphere changed. And by the end of the day, I think I had learned myself about the significance of, of the woman and and her visit. But let's listen back to a montage uh, from the 96FM newsroom of the lead-in to the day and the day, a Friday, it was a Friday the 20th of May 2011, when she visited us here. Um, and the first voice on this little piece of tape is, is of the then ambassador to Ireland, British ambassador to Ireland, Julian King. To use a Lonely Planet uh, term, I think it's a vibrant city. There's a hell of a lot going on here. It's very positive. There's a very positive business community here. There's a very active chamber. Uh, and I found the city has always been incredibly positive and welcoming. So it was with a great deal of pleasure that we were able to um, include Cork in the programme for the Queen's visit. The entire route along which the Royal Party will travel, including the inbound South Link, Anglesey Street, South Mall, Grand Parade, Washington Street, Shear Street and Dyke Parade, will be closed to traffic from 10am on Friday, as will Patrick Street. However, Chief Superintendent Mick Finn is playing down descriptions of the operation as a lockdown. There isn't a lockdown, yes, there's going to be restrictions, but people will be able to come into town, do their normal business, in particular, people will be able to come into the city and see uh, the, the visit of the Queen. We want people to come in, we welcome them, we'll be able to facilitate them. The Queen and Prince Philip are due to arrive by helicopter at Cork Airport just after 2 o'clock and will then travel in the Royal Land Rover to the city's historic English market on the Grand Parade. There, Queen Elizabeth will be formally welcomed to Cork by the Lord Mayor Mick O'Connell. 
Today he's following in the footsteps of a famous predecessor who greeted Queen Victoria 101 years ago. She actually knighted the dead Lord Mayor, a fellow called Daniel J. Hagerty. Now I certainly don't expect her to knight me and later on today, but I think we're all certainly looking forward um, to the visit. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great to feel that we've moved on to such an extent that we can welcome her here. There's great interest in it. My customers tell me that they're very interested in it and they hope to be able to come in on the day. We have an absolutely superb city and we should be very proud of it. And certainly in the market, there, there is an awful lot of pride. There's a lot of security and the city will virtually lock down for a very short visit. Is it worth that? It's definitely worth all the hassle, yeah. I think so. There's in excess of 600 journalists have applied for press accreditation for Cork City for that weekend. So that alone will be worthwhile. Oh, everyone is doing up the stalls and getting their hats and their long dresses out and, you know. Oh, will it be a big fashion day as well? Uh, I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> for the ladies, anyway, definitely. After a tour of the market and the unveiling of a special plaque, the Royal Party will then travel a short distance to UCC's high-tech research hub, the Tyndall Institute. The Queen will learn a little bit about the technologies that we have here at Tyndall, because Tyndall um, basically explores high technology for applications and things like communications and healthcare and the environment and, and saving energy. After a gathering there with invited guests, the Royal Entourage will return to the airport for their flight back to London. She said, in response to a question from me as to whether she'd enjoyed herself or not, she said yes, that she and her husband and the party enjoyed themselves very much indeed. And uh, at the bottom of the steps, I said to her, and your majesty, would you like to come back again sometime? And she said, yes, I'd very much like to do that. So at some time in the future, you may see a return. Uh, remembering March, or May rather, 20th of 2011, when she was here with us in Cork, just for two hours. But it's a, it's a visit that has stayed in so many people's memory. If you were there, uh, I'd be interested in, in your memories at 0818969696. The previous night in Dublin, she'd given a major speech. I'll let you hear some of that later on. Again, I want you to tell me what you think of what she said that night and did it change anything in your mind. In terms of the longevity of her reign, she never actually was in line to be queen. This is the bit that a lot of people forget. And I didn't know it, or well, I'd forgotten it, I guess, until I watched The Crown. She was never in line. But her uncle abdicated. Remember the whole Wallace Simpson thing? Her uncle abdicated, uh, which put her father in the, in the throne. And then he died very young. So she became queen at the age of 25. And when I think of my own daughter and other people, you know, we've all got young 24, 25-year-old women. Are they ready to take over an empire? But she, she took up the job and she stayed there until literally yesterday. Uh, she saw through 15 prime ministers of Britain, the first being Winston Churchill, the last being Liz Truss, 14 Taoiseach of Ireland. Uh, indeed. 14 Taoiseach, 14 US presidents. She met most of them. And seven popes. And she met a couple of them as well. But she lived through uh, that length of time. 72, 72 years. 0818 96 96 96. But go back to that day in 2011. Uh, you heard his voice on that piece of tape we played from the 96FM News Archive. But I caught up last evening with the, the Lord Mayor of the time, uh, Mick O'Connell. 
Mick O'Connell, you were Lord Mayor of Cork at the time of that visit in 2011. I thought it was 2012, 10 years ago. In fact, it was 2011. Your memories of the time, Mick, and of meeting her, which you did, I know, briefly. Yeah, memories are still as vivid today as they, as they were back then. I think I was saying to somebody early on today, I actually, I actually met her on the Thursday night in Dublin. And that made a huge difference, PJ, for the following day when she was arriving in Cork because it kind of re- re- relaxed a little bit more, you know? Mm. But um, on that, that, the Friday, as you know, when she arrived, and obviously unbelievable reception by the people of Cork. The weather, the weather was fantastic. Every, everything was ready for herself. And when she stepped out of the car, you could kind of get that feeling straight away. Like, the, you know, she's delighted to be here. She's looking around the place, taking in the ambience of the... The, the, the surrounding the surrounding area outside of the the, the market, whatever, and then following the introduction, I mean, you could see we had a had a chat, we had a little chat about so I tell her we came to Cork and I said thanks very much for for last night, hmm. the few words we had we had last night as well, and um, yeah, so we headed off into the into the market, you know, we from the, the captain or something, Philip, you know, so yeah, it was it was it was, it was fine, it was it was grand, and everybody in the market, like we put them in a lot of work went into this by an awful lot of people behind the scenes and uh, but more importantly I think the people in the market themselves the stockholders are absolutely brilliant because like this, the preparation of this went on for quite a while and did. a lot of people had to be discommoded in their, in their business or whatever but they, they bought it into this from the very start yeah, the level of organisation, I think, unless you were actually directly connected to it, like we were in terms of media, you, you don't get the level of, of preparation. It did go on for months. Mick, what was she like to, to talk to? Do you know something? You know, I, I, somebody asked me that one time, and I said, said to them, like, it was like going for a walk on Patrick Street on the Saturday morning with your grandmother. <laughs> we were just tossed, yeah, they were t- talking about kind of, and we were talking about what happened in Dublin last the previous night, and the, the, the concert, and the service that she enjoyed, and Telling her how that's, um, you know, I've been watching other events throughout the country that she, she's been attending. It has, the visit so far has gone down absolutely fantastic. And uh, I was saying that I'm sure that Cork will, will kind of be the, the icing and the cake for you today. And said, well, so we're very, very much looking forward to, to coming to Cork and, uh, mm. you know, and, and, and to meet the people. And she said that because this is the first time really she was going to kind of physically go, go out and meet the ordinary members of the public, you know. Dublin had been very tight security and you couldn't get anywhere close to her. But I know when she came out of the market, and I remember I was there, she went across the street to see some children that had been banging drums and waiting to see her. But I was standing outside the market when the Queen arrived onto the Grand Parade and this guy came over, don't ask me who he was, and he said, Lord Mary, said, when you're finished the tour of the market, you could bring Her Majesty across the road to meet the people. Yeah. And I said, I looked at oh, this guy is gone. Like, I said, I hear something here. Yeah. I said, no, I did not. So we finished, finished the tour. Anyway, the little girl made a lovely presentation to, to, to the Queen. And we're walking across the road. Because mm. I said to her, ma'am, would you like to come off? Certainly, she says. So we're walking across the road. And we're half us over. And I said, I said to myself, no, I said, ma'am, so my family are over here. So would you, would you mind saying hello? Certainly, Lord she said. Oh, your family were there, Mick? Oh yeah, yeah. So my my daughter, my daughter, and my son-in-law, Eileen and Richard, were there, and Kate and Eva, the two grandchildren at the time. Right. So we went up there, so we went over, and I introduced the Queen to Eileen and and, and and to Richard and and the case. But of course, Eva at that time was about she's about two and a half, maybe two 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 about two and a half, and asked, so he gave us the right to say hello to Her Majesty the Queen. Mm-hmm. 
And she looks, she looks up to the queen, looks up to the queen, to Mrs. Mrs. Queen. She says, "I have a very sore lip today." And she puts her finger on her lip, and she says, "And the queen kind of responds." I think she says, "You need to put some gel, something like that, anyway." Yeah. But but yeah, it was incredible. Like in, in the moments, it was incredible, PJ. You know. That's a lovely story, Mick. Yeah, yeah. Like to something like they said, we were dying, and we met all the rest of the people in the rest of it, and we were done. We finished up in the grand parade. But that that pit, that story. Could be something about it because if some guys rang me a few days later. Have you seen the newspapers? Avis and the paper with the cream and all lips. I was. Some good photographer picked it up anyway. It was there, but um, yeah. But like you know what I mean. That's the way she was. She went, as we went down. She was engaging with the other kids that were there as well. You know, so yeah. that's really fantastic. But like what I could see, how relaxed she was. Like from 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 from, from the start to the finish. Like it, you know, she was kind of something. She was kind of it was just as absolutely fantastic. Just what a place like. Yeah. But like the. The, the, the people, the people in PJ were absolutely outstanding. Like, it's like the amount of people we'd be worried about these things, but where they're all that sort of stuff. But the amount of people that, as you said, that, that turned out, but the amount of people that wanted to be there, because we got, we got mountains of letters in the office in City Hall from people all, 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 all over the country mm. to come down and people who were associated with Buckley and Palace and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, that they, they worked, there was one, one particular lady, I think, was in Fountain. She actually worked for in, in the palace for 20 odd years. How do you think history will remember her? Because the previous night in Dublin had been a huge occasion where she spoke the few words of Irish. She said very significant things in her speech. She'd been to the Garden of Remembrance. How do you think Irish history will remember her? As in, did our attitudes towards the royal family and the British Empire and monarchy. Did they change a bit as a result of her visit? I, I firmly believe this, right, that the, the Queen's visit to this country and, and, and particularly to Cork was kind of the final part of the reconciliation that was needed in this country. There was so much going on. And you have to remember the timing of the visit now to Cork as well. That was 90, the 19th anniversary of the Murray of Cork, so we had kind of some yes. issues here as well. Yes. And yes. like, to, to, and before that, she was going to Crow Park, and as you said, in said a couple of fucking up at the RS. So that was the final, I think, chapter of what had been going back for a long number of years, because as you know, Prince Charles has been coming here for a long time, particularly the Cork. Yes. So when the Queen, when the Queen decided she was going to come come to Ireland, I personally felt like that. If she's coming, then she needs to come to Cork as well. And mm. I remember we sent off the. The, the, the invitation, and you know, like the embassy were getting a lot of invitations at that time. But within a very short space of time, that came back positively that the, the Queen had, they, they had accepted the invitation to come to Cork. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 I remember one, one, one of your colleagues asking me, I thought very pertinent at the time, he asked me what would Terence McSweeney and, and Thomas McCutton say yes. comment on what, what's happening to, today to the Friday morning. You're probably here yourself. And I remember saying, it looks like it's. What we need to do, we need, we need, we need, we need never forget, to, should never forget the past, but we have to embrace the future. And I think that day was not about the future. And I think just, and you'll see where we've come from then, since, since then, you know. That I think just about sums it up. Mick, good to speak with you again, and thanks a million for being with me today. Okay, talk to you, talk to you again, PJ. Bye for now. He was Lord Mayor of Cork at the time, uh, Councillor then, Councillor Mick O'Connell. Now, mentioned the trip to the market. There was a photograph taken inside the market, and the photograph has been around the world a hundred times. We know what the photograph was. It was the photograph taken at Pat O'Connell's fish stall.
and I caught up with Pat, a very tired Pat, uh, and he'd come back last night from West Cork and he was collecting fish, and we talked late last night about that day. Pat, let's go back to that day. Did you ever expect it to work out quite like it did? Not at all. Not at all. Um, no, I don't think anybody could have foreseen the reaction to that, really. I mean, you know, we were there as supposed to represent the city and to represent the market. And I mean, show off the produce that we have, because, you know, we're proud of the market and proud of the city. Um, but could we have foresaw what would have happened or what would have come out of it? Not at all. Did you know that she was going to be coming to the stall? I know a few people were selected and, and it was planned. So what, what did you know? Like, Well, there was five of us selected where she was going to stop. Um, we knew the route she was taking and there was five of us selected where she was going to stop. And I was one of the five. Um, that was probably as much as was entertained, really. Um, you know, there was a protocol to follow, which we didn't really follow, but that would be our character anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it was a big step into the unknown, really. Yeah. I was watching you from 10 foot away, from behind your own counter, and I think even you were taken by surprise when she threw her head back and laughed like she did. Well, it wouldn't be the usual reaction from the Queen of England, I gather, and that wouldn't have been certainly something I expected, but, you know, I, I suppose she was more relaxed and Cork than anywhere else, and I think she got the sense of fun that kind of emanates from the market anyway and the cheekiness that emanates from it um, and I suppose you kind of you revert to normal mode I suppose when you're put in a position like that Yeah, You subsequently kept in contact as, as much as any I suppose commoner can with the, the palace you you had regular contact Oh yeah right up to about three weeks ago Really? Um, yeah Absolutely, yeah. We got a lovely letter from the um, centenary. Um, yeah, very strange and very unexpected, but I don't know. I think the English market struck a chord. I mean, not sure it was just Pat O'Connor, but mm. yeah, it was unforeseen and, and strange, I suppose. But yeah, they, they kept in touch and kept getting lovely letters with, you know, Mm. Little bits of writing thrown onto the end of a kind of standard issue that they kind of hand out to everybody, but it's the little bit at the end that made the difference. Yeah. You met her again, didn't you? You went over. Yeah, I met her in 2014. I was in the palace, yeah. 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 And again, just could not have been nicer to us and could not have been uh, more welcoming. Um, yeah, charming lady. No, nothing like I would have expected, I'd be honest with you. Yeah, I think anyone who met her on that couple of days here were quite taken aback by, by how warm and charming she was. Mick O'Connell, the Lord Mayor at the time, said it was kind of like a full stop at the end of reconciliation between our two people and, and that Cork actually was so important to that. Would you go along with him? Absolutely. I think it was a, a window in time. Um, and, you know, history presents these windows and, you know, you either jump through or you stand back and leave things carry on. I think that was the time when both sides stepped across. I think her speaking Irish in, in um, Dublin Castle and, and that speech, I think, washed away a lot of bad feeling. And I think Cork was the most relaxed part of it all. And I think, you know, she felt very welcome at Cork. And, 
And I think no better place to feel welcome at Cork than in the English market. Indeed, indeed. And I, I wonder how, and I think we've spoken about this before, you and I, Pat, I wonder how, how Kitty herself would have felt. It was very much my one regret that my mum wasn't there. I mean, she finished school at primary and, you know, she set up one hell of a business and, and gave us some guidance to dealing with life, as the fella said. Um, and yeah, for the Queen of England to visit her stall was something spectacular. But then as a customer said to me a couple of weeks later when I was saying I wish my mum had been there, he said, Christ, Pat, you've never managed two queens under one day. Well, I think that's a good point to which to leave it. Pat, thank you for taking time out. I know you're very busy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Not at all, PJ. Thank you. That's Pat O'Connell, um, the, the, of course, English market fame. And that photograph has appeared, I think it appeared on about 800 newspapers around the world. Now, the real world continues, I guess. Later, we'll be talking to uh, mortgage coach Joey Sheehan after another announcement yesterday about interest rates. Three quarters of 1% from the European Central Bank. What does it mean for people, particularly people on tracker mortgages? And what might you do now? Because it looks like there's more interest rates to come. If anybody has questions that we want to put to Joey with regard to mortgages and where we might go from here, uh, you can let us know at 083, best, best thing to do is text or WhatsApp them in, 083 396 96 96. Also yesterday afternoon, tens of thousands, or this week in fact, tens of thousands of young people have been getting their CAO offers. And let's focus on that for a while next. Yeah, we'll return to looking back at the life and the legacy and the visit in particular of uh, Queen Elizabeth later this morning. And your thoughts on her, her legacy, your memories of her of her being here in Cork or anything like that. Just let us know uh, what you want to say. Um, 083 396 96 96 particularly. And I'd love to talk to anyone who was in the group across from the entrance to the English market um, that day when she came out, because I was following her out, we'd been behind the counter in Pats, and the security got a bit of a shock when she started to walk straight across the street. We will come back to it, 0818 96 96 96. But thousands of people got their CAO offers during the week. A lot of people very happy. A lot of people not so happy. Let's catch up for a few minutes with Pam O'Leary, who's guidance counsellor and teacher at Cork Educate Together. Pam, I think that's fair to say it. A lot of people very, very happy. A lot of people looking at what to do next. Good morning. Absolutely. Hi, PJ. Yeah, um, I suppose in my own school, we had a lot of happy tears. A lot of students really happy with their points, but then they had that nerve-wracking wait till yesterday to get their place and waiting to see if the points go up or down. Um, and that's the same every year, um, no different this year. Um, I suppose the main thing really is not to panic. Um, whether it's, po- it's If it's positive, you get your place, you accept the place. If it's your first choice, fantastic, and everybody's really happy. I suppose it's the ones really that are further down the list, like um, if they didn't get their first round offer or they didn't get an offer at all, they're, yeah. they're the ones you need to kind of help and support and ne- through the next couple of days. There was no huge increase in points. Uh, last year brought a lot of shocks, not so much this year. 
No, um, I was having a look through now yesterday when the points came out and there aren't any last year. Nursing was quite a shock for a lot of people um, and it, it caused a lot of disappointment. But I think Simon Harris has kind of worked well with um, increasing places. Um, there's no major shocks this year. Uh, the high points are the same types of courses like medicine and pharmacy and dentistry. They've kind of stayed the same and the, the lottery for places is still the same. But people expected it this year, so it was less of a shock. Psychology and archaeology, surprisingly, a lot of people yeah. interested in that this year. Yes, I, I was explaining to your researcher there earlier that um, every year there's different trends and courses. And um, this year for, for our school anyway, archaeology, psychology seem to be very popular. But that definitely changes over the years. Um, I think nursing as well became very popular in health careers because of COVID. A lot of people kind of reflecting on society and the world and became very interested in science and uh, health type careers. So, mm. yeah, it changes though. Every few years. Yeah. We know that nursing can be a difficult career. God knows there's hardly a month goes by we don't read a plane loads of them immigrating. But at the same time, yeah. still a very popular degree course. It is because I suppose it has a lot of meaning for a lot of people and because they diversify their programs like mental health nursing, um, you know, various different types of nursing are available and that's very attractive to people. Um, even though the, the salary and the conditions can sometimes not be the best, um, there's still a lot of meaning and purpose in that type of career for people. So they're mm. still choosing it. Yeah. Now, First choice has went out this week. Like you said, a lot of happy tears. People will be worrying yes. and sweating a bit. So yeah. what yeah, happened? I, when I, does the I, second I, round I, drop? So let's just talk about first if you if you're worried and panicking, don't don't panic, okay? Just just hold tough for a little while because you have about a week before the second round offers come out. Um so if you've got a place, you, maybe it's your second or third choice, you should probably accept it accept that place and wait to see for the second and third because you will if you get the points in the second round or third round you will be offered and you can then take that place yeah. um, you know obviously it's 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 risky and it's it's a nerve-wracking time but just hold tough because there's other options available to you as well and um, if you got no offer or you don't get offered on the second or third and you don't want to take the course there are other options available to you and one of the secret hidden options that people have is the cao vacant places are available places listing okay. and that's where Programs which have not received sufficient applicants, they then offer out those places again through the CAO. And you can check if you Google CAO available places, there's lots of great options there for people that might not know. So it's just basically unfilled places that they offer up again. And a lot of a lot of students I've had in the past have had great success in that area. It might not be the exact college or course that they wanted, yeah. but it's it's close enough to what they want and they'll accept that place and get it. Yeah. Can I ask you a little bit, Pam, about the, the random selection, because we were being told to sort of beware of the fact that because of the high points, that some mm. courses might end up being random selection. Has that happened or can you tell? Yeah, I mean, if there's an asterisk next to the points, that means that there's going to be random selection. Um, it's usually in, in medicine is the main culprit for that type. Of, I, it's, I find it a deeply unfair yeah. way if you've worked really hard and got your six H1s and are expecting to do medicine that is it, it and, and, and for it to be a lottery at the end of the day is really not really unfair um, the, what I usually tell my students is like 
don't panic again. You know, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. This is just the system that we have. But there are other options available in the UK, in Europe, through UNICAS. Lots of my students have gone to Poland or to the Netherlands or other places studying medicine if that's what they really want. You know, so... And you can reapply next year if you wanted to wait a year. You could go working and reapply. So, again, it's just usually in medicine is the main culprit for it. But um, not to panic. You know, there are other options available to you if that does happen to you. Good. And just lastly, I'd like to me again, you said it well ago, this sort of, uh, you almost call it a secret list. The, the ones mm. that can't fill. When when will we know or when can anyone find so that's, that? That's, that's today. So if you Google available places CAO, um, today at 12, they're opening that up. And okay. they're basically putting up all the available places that are left over. Now, you just don't automatically qualify for these. You also have to have the points for yes. that course. Yes. You, can't, you can't just get it if you have any type of point. You have to check and see if you have the points. But if you do have the points and it is available, you can almost reapply and, and go for that course. Frankie. Okay, but I think... And that's today at 12. Today at 12. I think the message, very strong message is do not panic because this process isn't over yet. Thank you, Pam. That's uh, Pam O'Leary, guidance counsellor and a teacher with Cork Educate Together. Congratulations to everybody who's gotten their college place and to anybody who's still waiting and still sweating. Not only might it happen yet, but there are many, many other things you can do. Many, many other courses you can do. And... 12 o'clock today, that available list. I never heard of it before. If you have the points for any particular course that's on that list, you can take it. Thank you, Pam. 0818 96 96 96. I'm with her, though, on the random selection. I think there has got to be a better way. There has got to be a better way to do it than random selection at the end of the day because you've worked so hard to get those results and you literally are put into a hat to be drawn out for the places that are there. There's got to be a fairer way than that to do it. This quick message from Councillor Tony Fitzgerald. The Cork Community Forum for Bus Connect um, for Holly Hill and Sunday's Well to the City, that has been changed. It's changed to next Friday, 16th, half six to eight o'clock at the Terence McSweeney Community College. So that forum, public meeting... That was due to be held about Bus Connect for Holly Hill Sunday's Well to the City. Changed to next Friday from half six to eight. You can register at CorkSTC at busconnect.ie. Thank you for that, Tony. When this came out in the news uh, the last couple of days, I mentioned that it's something we've been talking about for a couple of years on the show. But now I think it's the first time the stats have been written down in the form of a report. I'm talking about a report that came out during the week from Cyber Safe Kids that said that a third, or nearly a third, of preteen boys are playing adult games online and are exposed to potentially harmful content. Alex Cooney is CEO of Cyber Safe Kids. We've kind of known it for years, Alex, but here it is written down and it's confirmation of what we already knew, but it's bad news. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I mean, I think what we were trying to really highlight with this report was 
what the level of access that children in this age group, so the primary school age children have to the internet, which isn't in itself a bad thing. But what we wanted to, I suppose, point out was that, you know, with that access comes responsibility for the parents, the caregivers, the schools, the government. You know, we all need to be doing a lot more to ensure that children are going to be well equipped for the online world, that they're going to be safe within it, uh, and that ultimately they can have a positive experience online. So it does concern us when we see figures like this, you know, so actually the figure overall for children playing over 18s games was 19%, but it was when you broke it down by gender, it was 8% girls and 31% boys. So as you say, almost a third of the eight to 12 year old boys that we surveyed, and it was four and a half thousand children that we surveyed. So it was quite a sizable sample. Um, we're playing a rating games. That access, that level of access is what, as a parent, for example, would worry me. It's so easy for them to get at these games and other platforms that they shouldn't be at. This, it, it is all too easy. And that there is a wealth of, of content out there that is available, and much of which is, is you know, great and, and, you know, really useful for our kids. But there is also a lot of adult content. And at the end of the day, these online environments were designed with adults in mind. There are a few specific ones that are specifically for children. So for example, something like YouTube Kids, but largely we're talking about children in adult environments and safety was not ever part of the design of those environments. So when we see safeguards now being added, they're an afterthought, you know, and that does, it means that they're never going to be as well-considered or robust as ones that were, were there from the very beginning in the, in the sort of central design of that environment. So, well, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's when we're talking about over-18s games, we're talking about adult content. We're talking about, you know, sometimes extremely violent content. We're talking about sexually explicit content, you know, games like Grand Theft Auto, where the avatars can be quite realistic and, you know, there, there is a range of, of activities that, that, uh, children can do and play in those environments and you know a lot of them not appropriate for you know you can get lap dances for example so i do think we really need to think about this you mentioned as well or your survey found that over a quarter of the children you surveyed and it's it's worth reading you did again you mentioned it you you surveyed a huge number over a quarter of them said they'd been bothered by content so this idea that they see it and it just bounces off them and they take no notice i think that myth is well and truly busted by these findings yeah so as you say 26 percent of children told us told us that they've been bothered by something online and we define that as something that had upset them uh, uh, um, or made them wish they hadn't seen it or made them feel uncomfortable so those were the kind of three definitions and 26 percent said yes and actually when we correlated the statistics so we looked at those children who were playing over 18s games we found that they were significantly more likely to have been bothered by something online so there is a clear correlation between those those the, the adult environments that they're accessing through those games and content that bothers them. And again, that's something we we, did, we really wanted to highlight with the, with these findings. What are the messages from the findings? I'm thinking first of all the message for parents, Alex. So the message for parents is really that you know when our children go online, and obviously there is huge opportunity for them to be online and to learn digital skills, there is also a huge responsibility for parents. And if you think about any other aspect of, of a child's life, you know, whether it's learning to ride a bike or learning to cross the road safety or to, safely or to swim, we we go through a period of preparation with them. You know, we don't just give them an adult bike and say, off you go, or point them to the local swimming pool and say, you know, 
best of luck. You know, we prepare them. We send them to swimming lessons. We often take them to the park on a little toddler bike with training wheels and a helmet. And we run alongside them shouting instructions. And that evolves over the years to a point at which they can go out and use their bike independently. And we have to hope as parents that we've prepared them well enough for that uh, for, for, for that uh, ability to cycle independently. And you haven't completely removed all risk because, you know, you can't. But what you hope is you've, you've prepared them well enough to mitigate uh, most of the risks. And we need to be using that same thinking, that same logic for children being online. You know, they, it, there is, I, I know, a huge convenience uh, to children being able to be online and so on. But it, it, their ch- parents do need to engage with their children. They need to have conversations regularly about what they're seeing and doing online. We need to have ground rules in place. So again, this was something we surveyed in, in, our, in our report. We asked children, you know, are there any rules for going online at home? And 15% of the children said they had no rules at all. And then 34% of children told us that they could go online whenever they wanted to. So pretty much unfettered access to the internet. And we'd really urge parents to, to think carefully about that because, it's, um, we, and again, just to remind the listeners, that we're talking about 8 to 12-year-olds. We're not talking about 14, 15, 16-year-olds. These are children who do need their parents' engagement mm. and do need the oversight. So that would be our message to parents. Really engage with your kids. There's so much great information out there online if, you, if you're looking for support. So, for example, if your child comes home and says, I want to be on Snapchat, all my friends are on Snapchat, Look it up. See what you think. Get the advice. There's some, as I say, great websites. Uh, our website, cybersafekids.ie, mm-hmm. Webwise, which is webwise.ie. And then there's a brilliant one called, called Common Sense Media, which really, it literally, app by app, takes you through it, gives a really balanced view. So you can make informed decisions about whether or not it's right for your child. And and this is the time not to be a friend, but to be a parent, I guess. And you have to make tough decisions from time to time. Alex, are there messages in here for our legislators? Oh, yeah, because I think when things go wrong for a child online, it's often all on the shoulders of the parent and the child. And I and I don't think that's right, because when I've, you know, I've talked about these online environments, they were designed without children's safety in mind, and yet children are there anyway. So I think we need legislators to be holding the online services to account. We need them to be putting in place legislation that will really make them have to rethink how they operate and keep children's safety at the forefront of of design. So I would urge government to put in place good legislation. We do have a bill coming down the track, the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill. But as it stands, it is not robust enough in our view. It needs to be strengthened. And we have pointed to areas where we feel it could be strengthened. And like where? There is where could it be strengthened? Oh, so we've been calling on an individual complaints mechanism. So basically... We want so there is an existing model in Australia, uh, which is the eSafety Commission, and they handle individual complaints. So if, say, a parent uh, is concerned, their child, maybe there's a video content that is uh, out there that is ca- causing harm to their child. Maybe it's their child's being bullied over videos of them online. And the child wants them removed and the parent wants them remo- removed. So they go to the online service. And if the online service d- doesn't respond or comes back and says sorry this doesn't violate our community standards or doesn't meet our threshold yeah this an individual complaints mechanism would mean that the the parent could take that complaint to the regulator and the regulator if they agreed could Uh issue a a time-bound takedown notice so in australia it's 24 hours so they have to remove all traces of that content from their service within that time frame. And for us, that's absolutely key. Now, obviously, we... And sorry, Alex, is that even if, and it's the most frustrating element, I think, particularly of Facebook, when I'm just mentioning it as one platform, 
it doesn't violate our community standards. Even if it doesn't violate their community standards, can you still get a regulator to force them to take it down? If the if, state- they, it, if they agree that it's causing harm, yes. So, so this is a, this is absolutely key. We had a case two years ago uh, where a teacher approached us, and it was about a boy in her school. Now, the boy had recently moved to her school, and the reason he'd recently moved it was I think he was in second year, was because no, he was in first year. Sorry was because he had been so badly bullied in his previous school. And the reason he was being bullied was over videos that he had posted himself online when he was 10. And these videos, there was nothing, uh, you know, dodgy about the videos, but his classmates thought that they that the videos made him look babyish or something. So he was relentlessly bullied over these videos. And his mother had tried and tried and tried to get them removed. And she'd reached out to the platform and the platform had said that they didn't violate their community standards. So for two years, those videos remained up. And this this child was so distraught about the idea of his new classmates coming across the videos that the teacher re- reached out to us and said, is there anything you can do? So we contacted um, the, the platform in question and basically said, the child was 10 when he posted these videos. You should, I mean, your minimum standard is 13. So why are those videos, why were you not removing them on that basis? Yeah. Why was that account not closed? Yeah. And they all traces of those videos were gone then seven days later. But two years, that family had to go through the idea that those videos were still live and they could still cause him harm. Yeah, yeah we need to get a lot, a lot tighter. Um, okay, one last question on that one though, Alex, and it's this. It's, it's fine for legislators to work with a platform that has a base here. But when the platform has a base on the other side of the world, can Irish legislation have any effect? So they can't issue, it can't, yeah, it can't be a legal sanction, it can't be a penalty. But then I think you have to operate on a a kind of um, goodwill, you know, good reputations, the naming and the shaming, you know. So if if the regulator is publishing reports criticising a particular platform that isn't maybe present in Ireland. So for an example, you know, there are platforms that would be really popular with kids that aren't here, which are things like Snapchat. You know, if, if there are, you know, continuously complaints about this one platform, even though they're not here, you know, that can be published in a report. So that the awareness amongst parents that this is, you know, potentially, uh, and I'm not calling out Snapchat on this one, I'm just using it as an yes. example. Uh, you know, it's it, that, you know, if it's sort of, if it's called out in a report uh, that it has caused harm in these different ways to children, then I think, uh, you know, I'd hope that parents would maybe rethink about whether or not it's an appropriate place for their children to be. Okay, Alex, leave it there. Thank you. Alex Cooney, CEO of Cyber Safe Kids. You find all that information um, and many guidelines and tips on cybersafekids.ie. Kate asks, did anybody see the documentary on BBC in recent days that was based on the Queen in her own words? She was so into talking about ordinary things. And that, I think, says Kate, is why people loved her. It'll probably be repeated now, so look out for it. There was also a documentary made in was it the 60s or the 70s that kind of got canned. And there was someone saying late last night on BBC television that that might just see the light of day now. The Queen was a fantastic lady, says this message. How she put up with some of her politicians, I don't know. But full respect to her. Somebody was saying yesterday, God, if I had to meet Boris Johnson and Liz Truss in the one day, it would have a serious effect on my health as well. But 
Actually, the jokes were flying thick and fast by last evening. Some of them, some of them genuinely funny. Some of them downright disrespectful. But you make your own choice, I guess, as to whether you are uh, you find them funny or you find them disrespectful. But whether we like it or not, uh, she was the biggest. And I say this, I'm, I'm following celebrities and international well-known superstars of all kinds for many a long day, as you can imagine. She was the biggest celebrity of her or any generation. She was bigger than any rock star. She was bigger than any pop star, any movie star. She was the biggest celebrity of her time. Um, And that's just a fact. Uh, Nobody is a bigger name. Nobody is better known or was better known than, than, than Queen Elizabeth. What a lot of people don't know um, or didn't know was her sense of humour. And that's very well portrayed, actually, in, in, the, in The Crown, if you've, if you've ever watched it. That's a dramatisation, as you know. But it, her sense of humour is fairly well portrayed. And this morning, there's a clip gone fairly mad on Sky News um, from her Platinum Jubilee, which was only like the other day. Uh, there's a Royal Protection Officer, a man by the name of Richard Griffin, and he was being asked about her sense of humour. And he told a story that he was present when he saw this happen uh, at a picnic site uh, near Balmoral. And uh, this, this, this particular tape is, is doing the rounds on Sky News this morning. <laughs> Isn't that a fabulous story, Joe? That's a great story. Morning. Good morning, PJ. Fabulous story, absolutely. Uh, sorry, PJ, I'm just a bit emotional. So. Are you really? Well, she's been like a mother to me, PJ. You know what I mean? How, how, okay. She's been she's she's been there for me since I was born, and she's she's been constant in my life. You know, every time I turned on the teddy, she's smiling back at me and waving. And I just okay. You never met her, obviously, Joe. Did you? No. No, not really. No, I met her from Sky News. No one was somebody having a crack with you. No, I, seriously, I, 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 was, I was getting worried about you because I know what you're like. You see, I know my. You've a third. Are, you see, Joe Bourne, you've a third kidney behind your eyes. Exactly. I my customers tormented this morning. I'm lying on their shoulders and everything. Oh, consoling me. Yeah, still taking the money, of course. Yeah, you I'm looking for a bit of extra money. You had me, you messer. You had me, PJ. Please don't start to get going again, okay? <laughs> PJ, um, now I want to be honest with you now. Oh my God, I was last night, I was glued to tell you and will be for the next 10 days. Just too sad, you know. She was a crazy old bit of stuff. She had a dysfunctional family, but she herself was a, was, 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 um, a great bit of stuff and, a, 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 you know, a, a good woman. A mm. good woman. I liked her. And, you know, she's kind of an end of an era for everybody, I think. It's, it's a big change in the world, big yeah. change. In the lives, no, because even, even in the salon there, you know, we always have a magazine and they'd be looking at Queen and her outfits and, you know, it's all pageant ceremony and fashion and how she looks and comments, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think she, which I think it, I think it's, it's when she's gone now, I think there's going to be big changes. Do, do you think a lot of people warmed to her that hadn't warmed to her before when she came to Cork and came to Ireland? Totally, 100%, yeah, she did. They did, and I think it did, it did a lot of good. You know, she was quite. She was quite humble. She was quite gracious. Mm. Um, no, I, I, I do think. I do think she, she. People changed a lot. I think before she came, there was a lot of criticism. But by the time she left, I think people moved definitely. Yeah. A question. A question to which you would certainly know the answer from looking. Do you think she'd a good hairdresser? 
He had a good enough hairdresser, but he's the same the whole time. I'd have loved to have done it because I've done it with my eyes closed. You know, she's the same style all the time. <laughs> but you yeah. know what she had? PJ, and I was remarking on it last night. She had beautiful skin. She had that kind of porcelain skin, you know what I mean? She was, she was, she was a fine-looking woman. She was a very, very attractive young woman. She was. When she, I mean, when you look back in the old pictures of her coronation and things like that, she was a fine-looking young woman. She was indeed. She was, and she had a lot. She had a lot to deal with. Even the last few years, I even think the crack with Andrew and all that. So I said, that, can you imagine that stress in the family? You know what I mean? That would, that would knock anyone for six. <laughs> oh, don't start, don't start. You hadn't. You know what? No, you'll be, and don't you be going around now the salon, right? Telling them all you caught me on the radio yet. I'm, I'm over here now. They're looking out at me at the window, crying and waving at me because I have to go back in now and see if I can pay the <laughs> I'd come back now to the real world, PJ. She was great. She'd come over. She'd come over to all my charities and everything, but people never recognised her. You know what I mean? <laughs> She'd be there washing the hair while I was doing the doing the the, the penny dinners, cracking the whole lot. But never, nobody knew who she was. I no, was you, that was Darren in a two piece. We know that <laughs> <laughs> with a wig. Well, good one, PJ. Good one. <laughs> Go on, I'm to get back to work. Goodbye. See you, Mike. Good luck. 0818 96 96 96. Oh, a messer for messer's sake. Going to line two. Catherine, what's your own story? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Hi. You got, your mother and father got married. They did. On the same on day. Exact, yes, on the same day. 1947. So, uh, no, the 20th of November, 1947. Right. So that was, I mean, at the time, they probably didn't know anything about the Queen. But as the years were going on and they were telling us, which was the same day, they felt very special. Yeah. Even though they were Irish, they still felt special that it was the same day as the Queen. Yeah, and they didn't, at the time when they were planning the wedding, they obviously had no idea, no? No, no idea. And they they tell us, they used to tell us that they had no idea. I don't think um, they'd have been thinking of the Queen years, that many years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 47, um, I don't know how many years ago that is now. I can't, they, I can't count back that far. But for their, no, fif- I can't <laughs> for their 50th anniversary, um, I know the Queen was, when she was 50 years married, she gave yeah. out a present to everybody who she got did. married. In the, did, they missed out on that though, did they? They did, because it was only the United Kingdom. I see. I sent I sent a letter and I sent a copy of their wedding shirt. Did you? Right. And I was hoping like that they might send that little gift, whatever it was. I don't think it was a big thing. But I got a letter back saying that sorry, that um, thanks for your letter and all that. Yeah. But we uh, uh the Queen is only giving it out for United Kingdom. All right. Well you these should try Catherine, you know you could you you tried. Yeah. I was disappointed for them, even though I hadn't told them that I was doing it. Yeah. It would have been a lovely surprise if they had got it. It would indeed. It would yeah. It would indeed. So my mother always reminded me of the Queen, and the Queen reminded me of my mother. As in, they were two lovely, gentle women, you know? Yeah. I always thought of her like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Catherine, thank you. Lovely story, Catherine Casey. I think a lot of... I just want to make... I made that point with Joe even if it was messing with me. I think a lot of people warmed to her during her Irish visit. People who never had any remote interest at one point or people who actually disliked even seeing her on the telly or on the paper. 
a lot of people warmed to her that time. I certainly had no interest that ever was in her. None. Um, but I warmed to her, I think, over that few days. Um, I, we are going to, I am going to revisit the speech in Dublin uh, to let you remember what she said um, and see did that, did you warm to her because of that? That's for later. We'll, we'll return. We'll return to this one throughout the morning. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello to Rihanna, who's listening to us poolside in the sunshine in Puerto del Carmen. Thanks for the message, Rihanna. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, Mary, you you met the Queen, did you? Morning. Uh, good morning. I did. Um, she used to open Parliament. I worked in the House of Commons there for seven years. Right. So she used to come in and open the House of Commons. So when she'd open it, she'd come over to the staff. Now, there was a picture of me in the paper I sent it home. My mother had in the attic. When they turned out the attic, they got rid of it. I was kind of going mad, really. Yeah. Lovely woman. Very nice. What were you doing in the <coughs> House of Commons? What was, your work? what was your job? I was working in the kitchen. I was a manager supervisor in the still room where we do the parties for Shirley Bassey and, and the private... Uh, really? Uh, dinners, yeah. Yeah. Crikey. So... Would she come in and chat, or would you just... She will, what she did when she came in, the entrance there to the House of Commons, you know, where the entrance of that poor policeman years ago, you remember he was stabbed? I do, at I the do. entrance, yes, yeah, the I, gates there. And she's she come, come up and give the, the, the speech behind her, the big door and whatever, so... Yes, yeah. so before she'd go into the opening, she'd come around to the staff and shake her hands and everything. She was very nice. Actually, I really... Uh, taught a lot of her because my my mother used to have great time for her. My mother-in-law, Mrs. Gorman, used to have great time for for the Queen, you know. So it was an honour, really, to be sure, you know. Yeah, crikey. That's, and you, 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 met, you met many big names, I'd say, many celebrities over the years. I, I, well, I didn't know. Shirley Bassey, um, met Lady Diane when she had her second child. I used to work in the Westminster Hospital at the time. Okay. As well. In the Lindo Wing, yeah. 
The, that, that's famous. It's a very famous wing. Yeah, but did you chat? Were you chatting with her, or was it just a? No, there was security. She kind of passed and just waved at us. The staff were allowed near, but I mean, it was you know security. She did wave and say hi to us, but um, you know, just near the car or whatever. Right. But uh, that was interesting. That was interesting as well. Yeah. How, how long did you spend in in London, Mary? I was seventeen years. I started as a search student, right. and I, I worked in the Portland Hospital then. I think Fergie was having her baby in family of Rums and then Westminster and my last few years then was in the House of Commons. I enjoyed it but it was hard work, fifteen, sixteen hours a day. Yeah. It was. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. Parties and we they had you know, afternoon teas and the members dining room. I still have one or two friends there. I still work there and I like to go over there now again and just say hello to them all again eventually. Yeah. yeah. When I win the lotto. <laughs> <laughs> you you've kinda of seen Mary behind a wall that few of us will ever see. I know. Yeah. Well, it 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 took well it took a lot to get in there. Really, you'd have to have a good reference and whatever. Yeah. But I, I have to say, cert, cert kind of opened the way for me because I ended up in the Tara Hotel and I kind of worked my way up. Hard work. You trained at CERT, I remember, yes, yeah, CERT, and, and then you went to the Tara, of course, the London Tara was a famous hotel, and you worked there. Oh, it was hard work, six years, seven years in there, yeah, that was hard. Right. Chambermaiden, that was very hard. <laughs> Mary, thank you for the call. Lovely story and nice memories. That's Mary Casey, who met the Queen, working in the House of Commons. You see, this is great when this happens, when something big like this happens. People, we have Cork people who have met the great and the good in the most unusual way. That's the best story of the morning so far. 0818 96 96 96. I want to talk to Rory Brown. Uh, Rory, you've, you've qualified as a, as, a, as a primary school teacher from Mary I and you're a member of the Epic Youth Council. Now you join us today to talk about this plan to prioritise those people leaving foster care for access to third level education. That is a new one on me. Good morning, Rory. Good morning, BJ. Um, yeah, I suppose I'm here to talk about it. Was um, I suppose last week, um, Minister Harris um, launched the National Access Plan, which I suppose is a plan to, I suppose, support those with um, di- from disadvantaged backgrounds, um, you know, get through higher level education. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I suppose he this year for the first time ever he has included, I suppose, care leavers. So I suppose people with foster care um, experience or residential care experience um, in this plan. Um, And I, I suppose myself, was a care... I grew up in the care system for 11 years, and so I've kind of been a big advocate for this to try and help um, get care leavers um, mentioned in this plan. And this year, finally, I suppose... After the fifth fifth plan, we finally have got that achieved, um, which is a great achievement. When you come out of care at, at eighteen, isn't it? It's eighteen. Like, is there anything there for you then? To, to um, at eighteen, at eighteen, um, the care system is kind of an awkward one. Like, um, there is, I suppose, the care system is does have support in terms of has an aftercare support plan. Um, for care leavers, but unfortunately, throughout Ireland, this I suppose aftercare service is very patchy, and it can kind of depend on the area that you're in on how good the service is. 
And I suppose for many 18-year-olds leaving care, they end up getting this patchy service so they don't get the support they need, meaning they face kind of a cliff that they have to become an adult at 18 compared to many of you know, our peers who at 18 have the support of family members or guardians and things like that, but care leavers don't get that yeah. because unfortunately for them, uh, their foster parents, they're not allowed to stay in the house because they're over the age of 18 and classed as adults and many foster homes have children underage in the, that still in the care of the state. So it means you have to, you have yeah. to leave. Yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of people wouldn't uh, get that, Rory. That that you know, if you, when you turn eighteen in your own home, as it were, uh, you yeah. stay on and you go to college from home and all those kind of things. But when you turn eighteen in care, the chances are the first thing you've got to do is find yourself a place to live. Yeah, like I remember, it was definitely one of the hardest things for myself. Like that, and many of the members of the Epic Youth Council, like that, I I work with, they've all had the same experiences. Generally, that. At 18, you have to go out and find this home. And like, as a, that's quite difficult for an 18 year old because, first of all, getting a rent preference, it's very hard for like a first time, John, 18 year old to get a house, first of all, because so you're 18, you've no, you've no guarantor generally, you don't have people to support you. And many landlords don't really want to be giving out a house to someone at 18 that they have no references or they have no guarantors to help them. Yeah. And I suppose that's something that many like 18 year olds don't have to deal with. Like they just, they stay at home and they go to college from home. But unfortunately, care leavers don't have that. You have to, you have to go out and find this home. And I suppose I had to experience that as well myself. Um, yeah. When I was 18, like be, I had you, to you leave my home. You grow up very quickly, don't you? You have to grow up very quickly yeah. to become an adult. Yeah. yeah, you have to, you have to literally, like I suppose when you look at the, population now most people aren't becoming adults until they're 24 25 26 when they've kind of finished their college degrees and then they set themselves out but for care leavers it's 18 straight away the minute you turn 18 you have to learn how to I suppose get yourself accommodation budgeting meals and I know some of that can be you know you learn it as you grow up but for some care leavers especially in residential care they don't they don't learn these skills and it can be quite overwhelming for them when they come in, come out so, so how into will the this, adult you know, life. You've qualified as a, as a teacher now and congratulations to you yeah. on that. How will this new scheme help people coming up after you? Um, I suppose the new scheme now, it, it's uh, a support to allow, I suppose, um, care leavers get into um, higher level education, um, which is always a push. I suppose many of them, many care leavers struggle to get into higher level, ed, level education because they... They struggle to, I suppose, um, they don't have the support or services to help them kind of, first of all, get into it. And then secondly, I suppose, stay and maintain themselves in, in these courses because they have so much external pressures on them. So I suppose this plan now is there that it's still kind of, it's just that we've been mentioned this year. So now there's going to be plans working with ourselves at Epic and myself as well to try and create these supports that this, the correct supports are needed so we'll be looking to be you know maybe getting colleges to have places for in terms of accommodation for care leavers so that when they leave that like when they're going to college that they they know they're they have accommodation secure and they know they can they can go 
other things will be just having support. So MTU have actually done pilot schemes in which they have a care leavers office now. So that it will be directly focusing on on care leavers. So it's kind of like your disability offices, but just for care leavers and all be focused on care leavers. And we hope the government now will get like we'll use that pilot and MTU to um, um, roll it out to all the others and give the colleges the support and then that they need. There's another and then in general, it's a, it, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Sorry, and in general, then it's just kind of all your other supports that like financial support that you'll be able to get the finance financial support that you need, and the government are willing to put that forward for us to make sure that you know care leavers can get through education without having to worry about financial, you know, not having to work 40, 50 hour plus weeks just to make sure that they get through college. Yeah, there's another other categories too. There's care leavers like yourself, then the yeah. survivors of domestic abuse, Roma, yeah. autistic students, and and students with intellectual disabilities. So it's quite a, quite a wide ranging scheme. Uh, Adrian, or Benjamin, Rory, stay there for me. I'll bring in Adrian Sheehy at this stage, who's an advocacy officer officer with Epic, which stands for Empowering People in Care. Morning, Adrian. Morning. Thanks for having me. I think Rory, with the best will in the world, he, you know, he paints a picture of being there at eighteen, and you might have had the most wonderful foster care arrangement known to man, but at eighteen, you were on your own. Yeah, I suppose um, some of the struggles that care experienced young people face um, are similar to the struggles of every other young person in the country at the moment in terms of accessing um, accommodation, mental health supports, those types of things. I suppose the thing that distinguishes the care experience cohort from other young people in the country um, are the sometimes systemic issues associated with increased uh, admin form filling, um, signatures that might be required um, and just additional layers of oversight that a young person might need to face who is care experienced in those situations. Um, there are also just the uh, at a personal level, uh, as Rory very eloquently described, um, those experiences of travelling, you know, to try and find accommodation uh, as uh, a care experienced person on your own or taking those really big life steps on your own. Um, without the extended networks of support um, like family or friends and that sometimes care experienced young people have to face into and that distinguishes them from other young people in the country trying to access um, similar support. So um, it does kind of distinguish them as a specific cohort that are deserving of um, support that are in keeping with their needs and um, some of the circumstances of their lives that are different um, and, you know, situations that other young people around the country might have to um, face into. I guess, you know, for those of us who've never experienced it, growing up in care is something we can't possibly begin to understand. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. But I mean, it's important to remember, you know, that organisations like ourselves are out there as well to try and um, help and support young people uh, in difficult circumstances. Um, Epic works with children and young people that have experienced the care system up to the age of 26. We exist because some children and young people need extra help or support arising from their experiences in care. Um, We're independent with a single purpose and a clear mandate. We're child-focused and build trusting relationships with care-experienced um, children and young people whose lived experience kind of informs our advocacy policy and research. 
Um, our team works with care experienced children and young people across Ireland to make sure that their voices are central to the decisions that affect their lives and we try and create safe spaces for children and young people to come together to share their experiences and work on projects and campaigns that are important to them. Um, all of our work is grounded in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child particularly Article 12, which provides for the right to be heard and to participate in decision-making. Um, I mean, we have an, uh, a participation arm as part of the organisation. Um, we help children and young people in care um, or with care experience by ensuring their voices are heard where it matters, kind of promoting positive care identities yes. and building a strong care community. We want to see Care Aware Ireland, at Care Aware Ireland, and through public engagement and participation, um, we kind of aim to achieve this by providing spaces of connection, fun, you know, growth for care experienced young people, yeah. um, as well as opportunities for action, um, like in Rory's situation, by yes. working on campaigns and projects to bring about the changes our care community kind of want to see. We have two youth councils operating currently um, that uh, operate across the country. Uh, they consist of young people with care experience from the ages of 13 to 26. Um, these act as consultative groups that inform the Epic Board and staff on specific issues. It supports our policy, research and advocacy work and um, it provides advice on the strategic direction of Epic. And um, View Councils also conduct their own programme of work on transformative change in the care system. So, um, I mean, we have a research and policy arm. Yeah. Uh, it works to raise awareness of the issues affecting children and young people in state care and provides an evidence base informed by their lived experience. And this directs our kind of national advocacy yeah. on care uh, and in public policy. Um, I'd just like to take the opportunity uh, to welcome the publication of the National Access Plan um, and the naming of care leavers as a priority group for the first time. Um, both Rory and his fellow youth council member, uh, Clara O'Shea Collins, were key champions of the work that achieved this recognition. And on behalf of EPIC, I would like to thank them both for their commitment to bringing about changes that will hopefully result in better outcomes um, and support for younger care leavers okay. um, moving forward. And just one last thing. Quick, to because anybody, I'm running out of time. Yeah, go if, ahead. If anybody has any questions in relation to uh, the care experience community or wants to link in www.epiconline.ie or on our socials at Epic Ireland or on Instagram, Epic Empowering People that Care. All right, Adrian, thank you for that. Adrian Sheehy's advocacy officer with Epic Empowering People in Care. And before that, Rory Brown, uh, who grew up in care and experienced the difficulties of going to college from care, but has since qualified as a primary school teacher. Thank you both. Yesterday, you'll have heard the announcement from the European Central Bank of another hike in mortgage rates. And the worry is, or interest rates rather, that affects our mortgage rates. You know what I mean. There'll be another one, quite likely, uh, before the end of the year. And it has implications for anyone who has a mortgage, particularly people who are on tracker mortgages. We'll be talking to a mortgage coach, Joey Sheehan, after 11 about that and maybe the future and what the future might hold in terms of rates because even the experts are saying yesterday that that won't be the last interest rate hike uh, at all, at all, at all. So what your options might be, we'll chat about that with, with Joey between 11 and 12 today. If you have any questions you want me to put to him, text them or WhatsApp to 083 396 96 96. Also, we'll be following up on this. We got an email during the week from a listener and we've had a statement in response which I'll bring you after 11 but the email said my mother has leukemia her treatment for next week has been cancelled 
It's our understanding some treatments have been cancelled due to contamination in the lab or the pharmacy where the chemo treatments are mixed. There are many people relying on these treatments to stay alive and treat varying levels of cancer. As it stands now, we've no idea when treatment will resume. There's no alternative hospital for treatment. At least none had been flagged. This is a real and genuine concern for people all over Munster who have to travel to COH for their chemo treatments. Now, we did request a statement from COH. We've had it and we'll let you know what's in it after 11. But that's uh, alert raised with us over cancellation of treatments. And the story going around was contamination in a lab. Uh, as I said, we have a statement. We'll bring it to you before we finish today. Talking about college and people picking up their CEO offers and getting ready to go to college, exciting time, lectures and a new way of life and new friends and maybe even living in a new place if you're moving uh, to go to college. All a big buzz about it. Let's, I suppose you want to be worrying about fashion and skincare. Let's face it, it's part of going to college. You need to look good. The look is everything. And if you're going to figure out what to wear around college why not check in with someone who's got 1.5 million followers on TikTok to see what she's got to say and what she has to advise. Laura, Lauren Whelan, morning to you. Hi PJ, good morning. <laughs> now with, with 66 million people have liked or 66 million likes on, <laughs> on your videos, we kind of reckon you know what, 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 what to advise when it comes to starting college. Like college is a, is a kind of a <laughs> mixture of study and social life. Yes. And you, you kind of need to have clothes that you go into a lecture in the morning at nine o'clock and you're comfortable there. Mm-hmm. And, and because of the nature of college, they need to be something you can wear late into the night because college yes. kind of happens that way. Absolutely, yes. So what would you advise? So most of the time when I go into college, you know, there's the days that, you know, I go in and I'm like, I'm not going out tonight, you know, I'm going to study. But that never actually happens. You know, you go in and then like all your friends in there are like, oh, we're going out for a few pints. It's like, Okay, so what I'd mostly wear is like a pair of jeans and then like a nice comfy jumper. Um, and, you know, that's that's just perfect. But then if you know you're going out that night, you can just keep those jeans on, throw on like for a girl, like just throw on a crop top and then you can bring a pair of boots to change into or just keep on the runners. Because to be honest, most people just wear trainers on a night out now anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's not today nor yesterday that I was in college Lauren, well, we just <laughs> slopped around in, in track suits a lot of the time. And if you ended up in the pub, yeah. you ended up in the pub. That That's what college Absolutely. was like. No one cared, you know. Yeah, exactly. Look, that kind of happens as well. You know, you kind of have those like quieter nights out. But, you know, if you're like in college and then like everyone's like, oh, we're going to like a nightclub tonight. You know, there's like dress codes into a nightclub. They're not going to let you in if you're wearing a tracksuit and things like that. But it's perfectly fine just to wear a pair of jeans and a crop top and some nice shoes. And they're going to let you in and you'll be fine. You have a great night out. That's just and just that's just the lads. With regard with regard to um, skincare and stuff, like mm. the price of everything is going up. Absolutely yes, yeah, so. absolutely. My favorite like affordable skincare now. I have like three brands that kind of come to mind. So the first one um, is the Ordinary. Um, they're a brand and they do amazing skincare. Everything they do amazing serums, you know, moisturizers, and everything kind of ranges like 
7 to like 15 euro and um, my favorite ever product is their hyaluronic acid and it's actually only 8 euro um for their serum and it lasts me at least 3 months at a time it's absolutely amazing um another brand is just Garnier they do amazing serums and stuff as well again kind of price range like 8 to like 15 maybe 20 euro maybe but again you don't need the 20 euro products you can like stick to the cheaper alternatives and they're just as good they're vegan now and like everything is organic and all their products the same with the ordinary and then my third one is higher education skincare they're absolutely amazing price ranges basically the same and their products come in really big packaging so it's going to last you a very long time. Yeah because the one thing about going to college I mean Friday used to be a day when a lot of people because Thursday was always a college night out Friday was a day Mm. when people would turn up looking like people had just been auditioning for The Walking (laughs) Dead there are ways to avoid that you know I mean what simple would you have any hacks like you get up and you're thinking oh god was it really 4am and do I really have to be (laughs) (laughs) anything simple that people can can remember to do I think honestly slapping on a little bit of moisturizer in the morning is gonna like change your skin because you know you wake up in the morning like after like a night of drinking and you're so dehydrated your skin just isn't is dehydrated as well it's not as like you know plump or whatever as as it should be so just putting on a little bit of moisturizer in the morning for the girls you know after a night out you're probably not arsed like doing your hair so just Slick your hair back into a little ponytail and like that's absolutely perfect. For the lads, do the same thing. Wash your face, a bit of moisturizer and it actually makes such a difference. And you know, you mightn't have time for a shower in the morning if you're up until 4am. So a baby wipe shower can do the job as well. Oh yeah! Oh those! Oh we've done those. God, we even we even did them when I was going to college. Yeah. <laughs> and dry shaving. Oh God. Dry shaving. Know. Oh no! Don't remind me. Don't remind me. Kabir, sixty-six million likes on TikTok. Yeah. And and yes. it kind of really all started in lockdown, didn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I actually I started like doing my TikTok when I was in TY. You know, I had a lot of spare time, so I was just making videos for fun, and then kind of in the lockdown um, I was approached by an agency and it kind of became my job then and obviously lockdown I had so much extra time in my hands like even more time than I did when I was in TY you know I had nothing else to do stuck at home so I just made videos and honestly it just blew up from there yeah and it's huge but did you expect a million like you can make a living out of it now can't you yeah it is it's my it's my full-time job now so yeah now, here's the question. You know when you have a, maybe a 40-second or one-minute video with all those little things mm-hmm. you're pointing to and captions on screen, how much work goes mm-hmm. into one of those, Lauren? It Honestly, it depends. You know, there's some... With TikTok, there's a big kind of variation on the amount of work that can go into a video. So sometimes if, if you're on TikTok, like you see those trends with like audios and things like that. And like sometimes I could just be scrolling. I hear an audio that's trending and like I could think of like an idea that just pops into my head. I'll make that and it might take me 10 seconds. But then like a video where I'm doing like a makeup tutorial or like just talking about my favorite favorite products, they like generally my makeup tutorials take me about two hours to make and edit. Um, and then like the same with the, those other videos as well. But like then a skit might take me about an hour to make. Mm. And it really just depends on like how long. It, it, it actually doesn't even depend about how long the video is. It's about like the kind of like if I have to like set up the camera in different places and yeah. then if I have to like in editing that like the recording mightn't take that long the editing you might take put ages it together. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah so it could take me 10 seconds to make and it could take me 2 or 3 hours to make well whatever you're doing keep doing it because it's very successful for you Lauren Whelan she's uh, on TikTok uh, 
one and a half million followers. Good crack. Thank you, Lauren. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now I was talking to Martha Clark on Wednesday, and she was with me, chatting about her her daughter's uh, suicide. Now. Martha, thank you for talking to us uh, on Wednesday. Um, how has the reaction been to it? Morning. Very, very moving. I had I, again. I had a number of people contacting me, telling me how moved they were by what I shared. And you caught me on the hop by asking me to come back on the show so soon. <laughs> I had to ring Lachine's house to see how they to get some more information about how they operate. Yeah, because so, you're going down um, there. You're going down the there the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, Lachine's House is a more localised suicide prevention charity and they have, you know, a helpline that people can contact and then they will also come and see people in their houses, which, you know, is quite unusual. So the helpline number is 023-888-8888. And then I've decided um, to do, um, if anybody books astrology readings with me over the weekend on my website, I'm going to donate 50% of the proceeds to Lachine's house. That's excellent. That's excellent. And chatting with yes, us, so we, we had quite a reaction yes. here. Do you, I mean... Oh, did you? Really? Oh, did, right. Yeah. And Tell I, me. Hopefully yeah. it opened the... Com- do you think it opened up the conversation a bit? Do you that, think? that was the point of going on the show, yeah, to start removing the stigma and to let people realise that the reasons behind such a harrowing decision are far more complex than any of us realise. It's never just, as I said, mental illness or addiction or your sexuality. It's very often a string of outside events as well. And, you know, another thing that I learned shortly after her death is sometimes if the person sees everybody else moving on in their lives and they haven't, that's another trigger. That's that's another trigger. You know, so... It's another trigger. They see everybody else moving on as we were moving out of COVID. And Ruth, God bless her, she was still trying to move on as best she could. You know, as I said on the show on Wednesday, she never stopped trying. And and, and that was something that really stood out in that conversation. She never really stopped trying and sadly it didn't work out for her. Martha, thank you again. And uh, if you'd book a reading from Martha Clark, astrologer, this weekend, she'll donate 50% to Lishin's house. Tomorrow, of course, being World Suicide Prevention Day and as we're always reminded there are many places that you can start talking or you can just look reach out for help uh, the Samaritans are at 116123 Pieta are 1800 247 call your GP uh, call 999 or 112 if you or someone else feels in immediate risk just please talk to someone We have been contacted about a scam, a potential scam that is going around. I'll bring you that in a while. But just to return to the query we had in earlier in the week about CUH, we got an email from a listener about it. And here's what the email said. My mother has leukemia and her treatment for next week has been cancelled. It is our understanding some treatments have had to be cancelled due to contamination in the compounding lab of the pharmacy where the treatments are mixed. There are many people relying on these treatments to stay alive and to treat varying levels of cancer. As it stands now, we've no idea when treatment will resume. This is a real and genuine concern for people all over Munster who have to travel to CUH for their chemo treatment. Now, we did request a statement from CUH in response to that email, and we've got it. 
and to be fair, I better read, read it to you in full so it clarifies the situation. Cork University Hospital is currently undertaking a review where there was a potential contamination in an area used to make up some of the infusion medication. While the risk to patient while the risk to patients is low, the hospital is undertaking this review to ensure the care of patients is of the highest standard. The issue is limited to a very restricted amount of infusion medication that would be made up and dispensed from the hospital pharmacy. All patients potentially affected receive their medication between the 22nd and 26th of August and the hospital system of controls has allowed for the identification of all patients who receive their infusion in this time frame. Medical advice is that the risk to the patients of an infection as a result of this potential contamination is very low. As a precautionary measure, these patients are being informed and followed up by their treating clinician. The unit's currently closed. COH is working with other hospitals to maintain the infusion service to patients. The hospital apologises to patients potentially affected and for any worry or distress this might cause. Potential contamination is a known risk and therefore the hospital is proactive in its continuous monitoring of the area and has very rigorous checks in place so any potential is detected early. Although the risk to patients of an infection is low, the hospital takes all issues of this nature very seriously and is taking all necessary precautionary steps. This low risk is confined solely to the patients contacted and does not affect any other patient who received any other medication, either by an infusion or otherwise. Patients, therefore, do not need to take any action. So it affects only people... uh, who were potentially given medication between 22nd and 26th of August and anybody who may be affected by that will be contacted. So nothing for patients to do or to worry about and they're being doubly and trebly careful out there. That's the statement back to us from CUH. Thank you for that. We don't normally read those in full but an issue as important as this then we will do that. I'll, I'll tell you about the scam in a minute. It's a bit confusing, to be honest, and I think that's why it's working. Uh, the nature of it is somewhat confusing. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. We we began the morning by looking back on the day that the Queen came to see Cork and came to visit the English market, and Moiraid was back down there this morning at the English market, uh, talking to the traders and talking to whoever she could find to talk to, because it was a busy morning at the market, about uh, the day the Queen came to town and their memories of her and their thoughts on her passing yesterday at the age of 96. It was really surreal, actually. It was strange. Um, I remember the buzz in the morning and um, everybody was in very good form. Everybody was really, you know, excited about it because it was a historic occasion, of course. But actually when she arrived, um, I remember looking down towards the entrance there from Grand Parade and just seeing this very familiar face coming in the front door and that seemed very strange. But she really won everybody over with her warmth and her curiosity and her interest, genuine interest in everything that we did. And she was remarkable even then for her age. Um, she, I remember her walking around without the age of any stick or no one held her arm. She just 
walked around the market and asked questions and talked to, to everybody. So we really felt that she wanted to be here. And it just wasn't a political visit or what, you know, it was a genuine interest. And she seemed to be really enjoying herself. So it was, um, was a day I'll never forget. Well, everybody was all excited. And then we were closed that morning and we were all getting together and all excited for her visit. Like, and when she came then, she was so nice. And so was Prince Philip as well. And um, like, they love the walk around. They have fierce interest in everything in the English market. You know, it was a great day overall. And I suppose, like, what it did as well for the English market, it really put it on the global map as well, didn't it? Oh, it did, yeah, definitely. We have um, all cultures now coming, you know, and it's great to see them. It was the best day the market ever had, you know. I mean, the eyes of the world were on Cork that day, and there was huge media coverage, um, and security was was enormous uh, getting into the market uh, guard of validation beforehand uh, for everybody that was in the building so it was really um, it was kind of tense and nervous beforehand but uh, the minute um, Queen Elizabeth arrived and the minute she got the sense that she was at ease um, it wasn't really being treated as uh, an official function even though it was on the itinerary um, it was just a, a much more casual walk around and, and a chat. We weren't originally on the list of people that she would meet, um, but we knew we had people behind the counter and we knew the minute she saw people that she would react to it. And she did and she stopped and she said hello and she had inquiries for one or two products that we were doing at the time. Uh, clinical tea pudding which is available in Harrods so she'd be well aware of, of that and she recognised it on the counter um, thanks to Colette who came in and did a display um, for it and that display attracted her her attention towards it that's amazing so you guys hear great memories of that time when, when she visited oh huge huge and like I, my two eldest girls were taken out of school that day so they came in as well um, and they're in their twenties now, you know. And even even last night, the the WhatsApps going around, they all recalling the day they were in the market when they met her. Family here was very exciting. Um, lovely to see the market in full glory, the fountain full of lovely local um, fruit and veg. It was beautifully decorated. Um, really nice, uh, nice atmosphere. Everybody was excited. There was people coming into up to all the gates to try to see in and once she left the gates opened and there was a sea of people just running through the market just to see what she looked at and where she'd been and what she'd seen it was really very exciting day yeah, it was an exciting day and as I, I told you before like i was in a position that day where you you had to you had to put in your accreditation like weeks in advance and the, really short of sending a lock of hair or a DNA sample to the British Embassy. I've never had to go through such security to get press accreditation, particularly for something in my own city. And like I said, I was a bit pissed off, I'm a bit miffed about it, that I go through such a rigmarole to get to go to see something in my own city, in my own market. But you know what? That, that was just me. And you get over it. So we're all given pitches. We were given pitches. And we were 
I was given a pitch outside the market at the entrance there as you go in. We're all corralled. And then something happened. I'll tell you about it in a second. But Bernie, you remember it well. Uh, I do, yeah. Morning, Peter. Hi, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, I remember it well, yeah. I, it was just one brilliant day. It was my best day inside the city. Was it? You're, yeah. You were with someone... I was with my friend, her name is Eileen, she passed away last year at a hundred. Um but and um but she was born in London, my friend, and she lived through World War Two in England. So I kind of yeah, so I had an extra interest like she used to be telling me all about it. and she, my friend worked in the factories as well, you know, during World War Two. Yeah. And her twin sister had to or her sister had to work in the submarines, you know. And um, so, um, so yeah, I had a great interest in it, and um, so we went in, and we had lunch, and we went down to South Mall and the Grand Parade, and we saw the Queen. But the atmosphere in town was just, just fantastic. It was, wasn't it? Where were you? Where were you positioned? Where did you get to? We go? were in South Mall first, then we went down to the Grand Parade. We got down to the Grand Parade, right? And then, but in the afternoon, we went in through the market. The atmosphere in the market was just brilliant. And it was like, like a carnival day. It was, yeah, and even after she's gone, it was still just, it, it, it was just brilliant. I didn't get home until about nine or ten o'clock that night. Well, you really went on the tiles yourself and Eileen, we, didn't you? We did, yeah. Um, it was just, it was just a brilliant day. I know, it was a great day with my friend who had lived through that time. Wow. And everything, you know, and who knew all the history and everything. She, was, she was, was older than the Queen, your friend was, yeah? My friend was born in 1920, 24th of September 1920, and um, she died last year on the 19th of September, a few days before her 101st birthday. Right, she was. She died. That was a great, a great, a great old innings. Bernie, thank you for that. That's a that's a nice memory. And thinking of Eileen, uh, it would have been her 101st birthday coming up next week. Thank you, thanks, Bernie. Yeah. Actually, the Queen that day, you wouldn't think it. Looking back at pictures last night of her here in Ireland, and I must play you a clip of the speech. She was 85, and she certainly carried it very well when she was here. But I was telling you what was happening to me. Outside the market, in this corral that they put us all into, uh, and I had what they called a sea badge. I was given a sea badge when I went to the uh, press centre. Um, and I had asked for an A badge, but I had been given a C badge. And I thought, right, fine. Some people get an A, some people get a C. The A's got in. So I'm there, and they're just about to arrive. They're, we've, we're being told they're five or six minutes away. And this woman, I've no idea who she was, although she was very officially dressed, came forward and tapped me on the shoulder. She goes, are you Mr. Coogan? I said, I am. Would you mind coming with me? So I did through a deserted market, everyone's standing back waiting, and in she puts me in behind Pat O'Connell's counter. I became an A from a C to... I've no idea how it happened. But someone was smiling on me, because I was actually standing... When you see that picture on a paper or on a wall, I was actually standing looking directly at the Queen. The photographer was standing next to me. 0818-969696. The previous night, I was, yeah, had, there had been that famous speech in Dublin where she'd spoken the little bit of Irish now that wasn't the big story but it became the big story there was a lovely story as to how she came to have the bit of Irish because originally her protocol people 
didn't want to know about her speaking a little bit of Irish. Um, but Mary McAleese, who was president at the time, and of course a fluent Irish speaker, Gael Gore, was interested in knowing maybe the Queen would speak a little bit of Irish. There was a diplomat, and they the protocol people at the palace were not having it at all. But a diplomat friend of Mary McAleese's went to visit her at Oris and Uchtron and an envelope was slipped into his pocket at his request. What would you like the Queen to say? And she wrote it out phonetically so the Queen could understand it. But she still thought, well, that'll come to nothing. That'll never happen. That'll never happen. But happen it did in, in Dublin Castle. Madam President, speaking here in Dublin Castle, it is impossible to ignore the weight of history as it was yesterday when you and I laid wreaths at the Garden of Remembrance. Indeed, so much of this visit reminds us of the complexity of our history. It's many layers and traditions, but also the importance of forbearance and conciliation, of being able to bow to the past, but not be bound by it. Of course, the relationship has not always been straightforward, nor has the record over the centuries been entirely benign. It is a sad and regrettable reality that through the history our islands have experienced more than their fair share of heartache, turbulence and loss. We can never forget those who have died or been injured and their families. To all those who have suffered as a consequence of our troubled past, I extend my sincere thoughts and deep sympathy. With the benefit of historical hindsight, we can all see things which we would wish had been done differently, or not at all. A very profound line. It was a six and a half or seven minute speech, but that's just the key elements of it, the speech from a Dublin castle, which a lot of people looked upon as a game changer in um, Anglo-Irish relations. And I think looking back on it now, it was a very political speech from a woman who was never meant to be political. But it was political, and it did change again. There was another um, notable passing yesterday, I'll tell you before the end of the programme, a Corkman. Um, that I knew and interviewed many times. I'll tell you about that shortly. But there's a protest on Sunday uh, in both Cork and Dublin. There's one here at the Fountain at 2 o'clock and one at the Spire in Dublin at 2 o'clock. It is Russian people protesting against the war in Ukraine. Olga Popova. Olga, good morning. Good morning. This is part of a a worldwide movement that's been in about 20 countries. Yes, yes, uh, this worldwide movement in uh, 20 countries uh, that will be in uh, protests all over the world. Uh, USA, Australia, Finland, New Zealand, Poland, Germany, and of course Ireland. And um, that will be a second protest in Ireland, uh, free Russians uh, against war. The first protest was in uh, 12th of June, and that was the day of Russia, and uh, that protest was only in Dublin, but here 
for the first time that should be protest in a Dublin and uh, in a Cork as well. So, mm. Because <laughs> since the very start of it, Olga, you know, many Russian people have been putting up their hands and saying, we don't approve of this, we don't support this. Yes, yes, uh, this, is, uh, this is what we want to say. And uh, at uh, 12th of June, we uh, came first time with our new symbol, uh, white, blue, white flag. Uh, and this is quite close to current uh, Russian flag. But uh, this flag is, doesn't have a red line, line of blood. So we declare in this flag that uh, Russia should refuse from all bloody practice in future, like wars or repression. Okay. So uh, we think that this is both <laughs> we need to refuse. And okay. um, uh, we, uh, our main idea is uh, freedom for Russia and uh, peace for Ukraine, because we think that it can be only on a, uh, on a similar time, because this uh, goals uh, connected with each other. Okay, okay. Uh, and Russian Russian people who stand opposed to the war will gather at both Cork and Dublin, um, at the Spire in Dublin and the Fountain in Cork on Sunday, which is September 11th at 2 o'clock. Thank you, Olga. Actually, speaking of 9 Actually, I was watching the new season of Borgen last night, that brilliant Danish political series, and every at the start of every episode they have a quote, a historical quote and one of the quotes they had last night was every war has ended and been won before it begins every war has been won before it begins, was a quote that came up on the, the screen 9-11 I'm reminded there is, where is that gone on me? Yes, there's a commemoration at the Garden of Remembrance in Kinsale at Ringfinnan on Sunday at three. Several hundred people who attended the commemoration and ceremony last year on the 20th anniversary. And of course, we did a big feature on it here on the Opinion Line on the 20th anniversary uh, last year. That's Sunday, three o'clock in Kinsale, that annual commemoration. 0818 96 96 96. Do you play chess? I learnt it when I was a kid and I was pure useless at it. I've been beyond useless at it. I stuck with drafts because I... And, but it's a hugely popular game in Cork and some people play it to a very, very high level. There was a friend of mine in school played it to a really high level. Fellow by the name of Mel Kennedy. Uh, but um, Dave Halpin, uh, there's a chess night at Eco Cafe. Morning. How are you, PJ? Good. There is quite a lot of interest in chess in Cork, isn't there? There is, yeah. It's um, it's uh, growing and growing. So um, we decided we'd, you know, I think the nightlife culture is changing a bit around the city. You know, people are looking for a reason to get out of the house and get into the city. And I think with, with a lot of different um, kind of nationalities and cultures, they don't want to go pinting, you know? Yeah. So we... we, we it's our first one. We're going to see how it goes Sunday night. Um, there's no charge, obviously, and we're, we're doing two for one on the drinks. Mm. Um, you can bring your own chess board and we'll supply them. Right. Would so you be a much of a player yourself, Dave? I'm not much of a player. I, I know how to play, yeah. but uh, 
How about yourself? Do you play? I'm the same. I know how to play, but that's about the size of it. <laughs> Can we have a great show today? I was listening back. It's it's amazing how how fast the years go by with the with since the Queen's visit, isn't it? Absolutely, eleven years. I thought it was ten, and then uh, then I looked and it was eleven. We all watched. I'm sure you watched anyway, because I know I did. It was brilliant. The the Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Did that bring a lot of people? And encourage a lot of people to take up chess, or did it? Res- you, you, you would definitely notice more people kind of um, asking for the chessboard behind the counter. All right. Yeah, because I never. I, I remember when I, when I saw Netflix making a series about chess. I thought, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and then I watched it in a night and a half, like. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was a great show. All right, very addictive. Yeah. So you're eight o'clock on the eleventh. That's Sunday, yeah, Sunday night. Mission free. Bring your own board or you'll supply the menu deals on the drinks. To see, do we have do we have another Grandmaster in Cork, I wonder? <laughs> there are, I'd say there's a few lurking around, all right. Do you know, like you said, our international friends and, you know, the, our, our new Corkonians, a lot of Eastern Europeans, for example, play chess. They play it from when they're a small child. Absolutely, yeah. You yeah. know, and they, and they learn, they learn it like like we play we learn hurling so you never know thank you Dave that's Dave Halpin from uh, Eco Eco Cafe Sunday night 8 to 10 if you're interested in that and if you've never seen it and you're looking for a Netflix recommendation without a shadow of a doubt one of the best things they ever made a limited series I think either 7 or 8 episodes and not too sure whether it was seven or eight, but it was called the Queen's Gambit. The Queen's Gambit is an opening move in chess. It's a very well-known opening move in chess. But they managed to build an entire series around chess. And like Dave said, a lot of people, you know, brought more interest. But it's worth a look if you've never seen it. It's worth a look. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. The uh, European Central Bank moved yesterday to jack up mortgage rates or jack up interest rates by three quarters of one percent, which has affected thousands of people's mortgages, and their bill will go up immediately, if not sooner. Uh, and it's led to a lot of questions about what people should do, particularly people, for example, who were on trackers like myself, trackers, who now go, what's going on? Whoa, 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 what's happening here? All the questions you want to answer, we'll try to answer answer for you in a couple of minutes with Joey Sheen. I mentioned another prominent passing yesterday, uh, Tom Kavanagh, the, from Kavanagh's Motors in Fromoy, the founder of... Irish Business Against Litter passed away yesterday. He was 92. I interviewed the man many times. God rest him. Uh, Patricia, you Hello, are... Hello, Peter. How are you? ...stranded in <laughs> Stansted. Okay, so basically there was a flight yesterday from Stansted going to Cork. They were supposed to leave at 5 past 7 last night and get into Cork um, last night at slightly gone east. And... Um, when we got to the airport, everything was fine. Then all of a sudden, the flight was like an hour and a half, almost two hours delayed. We were sent to numerous gates, which kept changing. They went to board us onto the plane at one stage, took us out, left everyone standing in the rain um, for 20 minutes, and then basically herded us all back in again. We were told that there was a problem with the plane. We were told one of the staff members was sick. So we waited and we waited. I think we were supposed to fly out at quarter to one. 
and at quarter past one, they checked us all through the boarding desk, left us on these stairs going down. We were still there for another 20 minutes. Oh, and it's 20 to 12 now, and you're still there? Yeah, we... Oh, that line is awful. No sign of a move yet, is there? Um, well, at 10 past 2 this morning, the whole flight was actually asked to leave the airport. Right. That's a, that's a dreadful that's a dreadful phone line. Let's see if we can't get you back in a slightly better one. But the whole thing cancelled at then two o'clock, ten past two this morning, and still stuck in Stansted at twenty to twelve today. I'm trying to get home. We'll 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 appreciate you coming to us, uh, Patricia. Let's see what we can find out and and we'll see if we can do some more uh, there. If I give you my mo- I got you. Hold on. Let's try one more time. Where are you? Where are you right now, though? I'm in a taxi because we had to organise our own taxi. Okay, that's probably six o'clock. Okay, that's probably why the line is so bad. She's in a taxi now. We'll put you back onto Fiona there. See if we can't get you before the end of the show, just to find out where you are and what you're at. But cancelled, stuck in Stansted. They make their own way off the premises of the airport at two o'clock this morning. Taxis up and taxis down. We'll we'll come back to her. Thank you, Patricia. 0818969696. Now, yesterday, and every economist uh, had been predicting it, the interest rates from the European Central Bank went up by another three quarters of 1%. They're now at the highest for a long time. It's an effort to uh, quell inflation, which is all very, very fine for the European Central Bank to say we need to keep inflation down. But the way to keep inflation down uh, is is putting our mortgages up, which nobody likes. Uh, Joy, uh, mortgage coach Joey Sheehan. Joey, um, we knew it was coming, and the sad part is it's going to happen again. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, um, so we've seen um, a 0.75% increase in the European Central Bank rate yesterday, which followed a half percent back in July. Um, we can expect probably... Two more similar uh, in in the coming, you know, maybe half six months or so, and um, so we we could see the ECB rate going to somewhere in the region of of two to two and a half uh, percent yeah. uh, of a base rate, which is obviously going to directly affect all borrowers, but in particular, it will immediately affect all tracker mortgage customers. Mm. Now, the tracker mortgage customers have had a great run in fairness, um, and rates have been very low for for about a decade. Um, but obviously, e- each increase, I did a little calculation here, and for every 100,000 you owe uh, on a tracker of a margin of 1.25% with 15 years left, um, 1% margin, apologies, you'd be paying an extra €68 Euro monthly, which is about over 800 a year, based on these two increases. If we see two more similar in the next six months or so, that means you'll be paying an extra, you know, 1600 or or, or um, up to 20, 24, 25 grand uh, over over the fifteen year term, you know, because with a mortgage, um, Joy, particularly when you're at the point in your mortgage where you're actually paying down capital, you're still being charged interest on if you as if you owed the original amount, correct? Well, no, the 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 interest is. Oh, is this line going to drop on me? Daily basis, so every month, if you pay off, if you paid a thousand euro, yeah, and eight hundred of that came off capital. 
uh, and 200 was interesting. You know, you're paying, if it was 100,000 month one, it'd be 99,200 uh, month two. So each each month um, you'd be paying a little bit more off the capital, but it's based on the capital you owe at that time. Right. Right, right. So everyone on a tracker is automatically going to go up. Which brings me to the first question that's come in from a, a listener. Uh, we have six years left to pay on a tracker. What should we do? Well, I think a lot of people would love to be in that position to have only six years left on a mortgage. Uh-huh. So um, relatively speaking, it's a small problem compared to somebody who might have 26 years or Indeed. 16 years left. So the first thing to do is contact their bank, see what other rates are available from their bank. Um, if their margin is, let's say, 1% now and after yesterday, they'd be paying a total interest of, let's say, 2 and a quarter percent They can assume probably at least 1% on top of that in the next while, which will bring them to 3.25, maybe 3.5%. So if they can lock in for, let's say, a five-year fixed rate below that, then I would say maybe go for that. Yeah, because they're only going to go up for the next, what, year or so? Yeah, ho- hopefully, um, you know, it, it doesn't last too long, six six or 12 months, and then, you know, we'll probably see rates settle down at that point. Mm. And then if if, if the it curbs the inflation, if the objective is achieved to, to reduce inflation, then hopefully we'll see a reduction in rates, you know, sometime over the next uh, couple of years, you know, start be- a, be- a beginning of the reduction. Yeah, yeah. They're never again going to go back down to as low as they were, though, are they, Joey, realistically? Well, they were at a, an exceptional yeah. low rate of 0%. They couldn't have been lower. Yes. So a, a, no, a normal base rate would probably be somewhere between maybe 1% and 2%. Mm. Um, but but I, I hope we do see 0% again, um, mm. PJ, but it, it's unlikely. You know, I'm, another advisor said to me one time, two or three years ago, talking about interest rates, let them prize your tracker from your cold, dead hands. Is that advice still relevant or should people be thinking now about their trackers? Well, it's an interesting question because there's different margins on tracker rates. And some we've seen margins as low as 0.5% and we've seen ones as high as 3.2%. So I would say that anybody on a margin over, we'll say 1.5%, should certainly be looking at switching now and fixing. Anybody on the half percent, well, it, it could still potentially be good value in the longer term. Uh, to stick with it if the margin is that low. Mm. And how easy is it to switch within your own institution, say? Well, within your own institution, you you call up your bank, you ask them what rates are available, and they'll generally send out a form and, you know, you you tick the box you want, sign it and send it back. So, you know, I would urge every mortgage holder out there, no matter what rate you're on, contact your bank today, ask them what alternative options are available, once you have that information, contact a broker. Uh, we have access to up to eight lenders. We will say, look, maybe staying with your own lender is, is the best option. Maybe it's not. Maybe you should take a longer term fixed rate. Um, and I suppose the more indebted somebody is and the longer the term remaining on their mortgage, uh, the more consideration you, you need to give. Because with, with due respect to that that listener that sent in that has only six years, you know, I'm sure people will give their left arm to be in that position. Yes. Yes. Um so 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 people with with the longer term and a higher rate should definitely be be um t- taking advice uh, from a broker and see what options are there. Like that person could potentially get a get a tracker for five years and should they be nearly off the off off the hook at the end of that. 
Correct. Yeah, one year left, so that that would be get great, fixed, great position. Get it fixed. Another one here. Yeah. Gordon says, "Ask the mortgage guy if you went into the branch yesterday to fix your mortgage. Were you too late? It'll be a few days to process." They said, and the rate wasn't on the form I filled. So is that going to be an issue? Um, it depends on the bank. So some banks will will give a, a little bit of a grace period, and so other banks won't. So um, I would be kind of making my case and maybe just follow up with, it with a little email just saying, look, I was in yesterday and this is the rate I wanted and uh, can you please process this and try and put your best foot forward. Uh, I'm not sure what the obligation of the bank is, uh, but, you know, put your put your best foot forward, make a case for it and hopefully you get the lower rate. Yeah. What about people who were with Ulster Bank Joey and are, of course they're gone now and, and we're moving but don't know what bank has taken over and are a bit confused. Any advice for them? Yeah well if, if somebody's in a fixed rate with um, Ulster Bank or KBC who are also exiting, um, the terms of their uh, mortgage will remain unchanged so if somebody is in a five year fixed rate and they still have three years left um, they'll just be paying the same direct debit but that ultimately in the case of KBC that money w- will be paid by the time that transaction is completed, it could be the new year. Um, they'll be, the direct debit will be going to Bank of Ireland instead of KBC. So they have to do nothing different. Mm. And the same with um, Ulster, be going to, going to permanent TSB. But with these people as well, there's no breakage fee to exit the fixed rates in many cases. Mm. So what I'd say for these people as well, as well as every holder, mortgage holder, contact the bank, see what fixed rates are available. Uh, contact a broker then with that information and see what other options and it, it might be might make sense to stay where you are it might make sense to switch every case would be different mm. you know people get nervous Joey they say well the bank will always win you'll never win is that true well the, the banks I suppose the banks will all, they're there to be profitable and to make 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 money uh, and they always will be and I suppose they're, they, we need banks in our economy to function economically and um, so I suppose we, we do need the banks to, to, to remain viable but um, the banks need to need to cover their costs too and um, you know I think if you shop around there is good value out there mm. be it on a shorter term fixed rate or a longer term fixed rate but you know I don't have any sympathy for the borrower who is on a standard variable rate of maybe four four and a half percent with their borrower and they're giving out you know maybe down to the pub to their friends saying I'm being fleeced here for four and a half percent Yet they don't take any action and they don't contact uh, a broker to see, well, look, can I get this down? And in most, almost all cases, even whether you're staying with a new bank or switching, you can get a better rate. So you need, people need to take control of this and take action today and contact their bank, see what options are available, contact your broker, see what other options are available in compared to those, and then, you know, maybe make the move. All right. Okay. Joy, Joy, she, she in the mortgage coach, uh, and you'll find it at mortgagecoach.ie. It's, it's turbulent times. Your choices are your choices. They are out there. So contact your bank or find a broker and maybe move. It's a lot easier to move than it used to be. Thanks, Joey. Now, tomorrow night at City Limits Comedy Club, Brian Gallagher comes to town. Brian, events, dear boy, have shortened our conversation. Um, people have a habit of dying on us uh, at short notice. I'll talk, so, I'll talk faster, PJ. I'll talk faster. <laughs> it's made us very busy. But you're, you, uh, you, you love being back in Cork, and you haven't been here for a while. I haven't. I absolutely love Cork. I'm going to be in City Limits tomorrow night um, at nine o'clock. It's going to be amazing. It's, it's probably one of the best clubs in the country, and I love I love Cork audiences to be honest with you. So I'm, I'm absolutely 
ecstatic to be heading back down so I'm looking forward to it Everybody loves that club uh, Tommy Tiernan says it's one of his favourite places in the whole world to gig You've been around you were at Electric Picnic just recently so you're on a bit of a roll Yeah busy out I mean I was over in uh, the Edinburgh Fringe as well so I did a full run over there um, which was great sold out and I think one of the reasons I like coming to Cork is because every time I've gone to Edinburgh for some reason Cork people find my show uh, come to my show enjoy it um, and I've had loads of like crazy stuff happen where one year in Edinburgh, I had um, this girl from Cork come to the show several times for some reason and brought her friends, her family, and uh, she brought her best friend and her then boyfriend. And then this year when I was back uh, at the same show, she showed up minus the boyfriend, but the boyfriend was at the back of the room with her former best friend from the previous year. So drama and comedy in the one room. Like, do you ever think uh, you might I, be I a do, bad influence there? <laughs> you never know well find out tomorrow night if you're in a relationship you want to get out of bring your best friend and your boyfriend and come to City Limits and let's find out if that relationship will stand the test of time and I'll, I'll be there I'll be there to facilitate <laughs> that's a great one though and they kept and they like they're all there again like mad mad bad bad Brian okay mad madness we will talk I promise you we'll talk in more detail uh, to you about about how things are going on, on a later date but for now Comedy Club tomorrow night City Limits uh, Comedy Club Saturday 10th September Brian Gallagher uh, will be on stage tomorrow night thanks for that Brian and apologies for the shortness of time this scam I want to read before we get out the gap today I don't know who you're referring to caller, but it says they ring you on the phone. We have good news and bad news is the message. I'll give you my supervisor's number and you can ring him and he'll fill you in. They won't say who they're from or even the nature of the good news. All you get from them is, oh, this is just reception. I was told to call you. Then once you call the so-called supervisor, the call's very expensive and it's all to try and get in, in, in information out of you. That's as much as we know about that. It's something we may well come back to. Uh, we've had a few responses to Joey and mortgages and rates. We will bring Brian Gallagher back for a longer conversation. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.